0: Welcome to Digging In with Missouri Farm Bureau. I'm Eric Boll, Director of Public Affairs. We have just wrapped up our 107th annual meeting down at the Lake of the Ozarks at Margaritaville Lake Resort. And one of our main events at that conference every year is our Sunday afternoon panel. This year, our panel focused on restoring American resiliency and supply chain issues uh, that have been caused by the pandemic and numerous other things over the past year or two. Uh, We had a couple of panels, two different parts of it. The first part is a uh, group of private entity leaders and then some people from the public sector in the second half. I think you'll enjoy hearing their thoughts on what's been the cause of the supply chain problems and some of the solutions that they believe might uh, be able to be implemented and take care of those problems in the future. So uh, take a listen. Hope you enjoy. Man,
1: what a beautiful... A part of the Lake of the Ozarks. Uh, thank you for joining us for our supply chain discussion as we talk about uh, just some of the issues that we have been experiencing in agriculture, uh, that we've been writing and talking about and experiencing firsthand as farmers and ranchers. And so this afternoon, we're going to spend about an hour talking about supply chain resiliency and how we uh, can get better in Missouri agriculture as well as all across the united states so this first half hour we're going to focus on private sector and so with me uh, i'm going to ask each one of our speakers to come up one at a time Uh, first immediately to my left will be dan mehan who serves as the president and ceo of the missouri chamber of commerce and industry Uh, dan leads missouri's foremost advocacy group for job growth and economic expansion uh, he's currently heading up implementing a 15 year strategic plan called Missouri 2030 an agenda to lead. Um, you know, Dan and I have had the chance to talk several times uh, this past year on, on issues, particularly with regard to infrastructure. So I uh, certainly appreciate Dan uh, being willing to join us uh, this afternoon. So, Dan uh, lives in Jeff City with his wife, Ellen, and their two daughters, Cecilia and Katie. So, welcome,
2: Dan. It's great to be here, Gareth. Thanks so much for the opportunity.
1: Next up, we have State Representative Dan Shaw, who actually also serves as a State Director of the Missouri Grocers Association. This man wears two hats. <laughs> uh, so, before becoming State Director of the Missouri Grocers, Dan actually served as Director of the Mid-American Grocers Association in St. Louis, and he has served in the United States Air Force. So, Representative, to welcome. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. And then, an old friend, Steve Taylor, uh, who serves as the president and executive of the Missouri Agribusiness Association, also known as MOAG. Uh, Steve and I have worked together a lot through the years, and Steve's constituency is pretty broad in terms of his constituency are the ones that serve all of us, right, as we think about who we do business with uh, from our suppliers, our retailers, wholesalers, and our chemical makers. So so Steve has a diverse membership and certainly has a lot to think about when it comes to supply chain issues. Steve also has spent time with Missouri corn growers. Uh, Steve is quite the expert when it comes to water quality and some of the environmental issues that that we have dealt with Mm -hmm. through the years. And so I'm really excited to hear from these private sector folks as we talk about supply chain and just what what we have been experiencing. Now I know a couple of you are coming off of more state meetings. Had some opportunities to have a discussion with your members, so maybe that's a good place to start. Maybe just give us a lay of the land in terms of what you're hearing from your constituencies as we think about just the supply chain overall where we're at as a U.S. economy. So who wants to start?
2: Bob, I'll give a start. Dan uh, being from the Missouri Chamber of Commerce. Uh, I think it, when you think of the supply chain, think of your electricity provider. Think about your co-op or your utility. And when that goes down, when the lights go out, what do you want? You want to put back on. And uh, what we've seen, and what especially in the manufacturing sector we've seen, is that the supply chain has become very, very complex and absolutely global. So if it used to be Steve, Dan, Dan, and, and then we supply Garrett. Now it's all of you from around the world. Uh, there was a book written called "The World is Flat," Thomas Friedman, and he tracked in, in the book. He tracked all the components of his laptop and where they came from, and it was from ev- from everywhere. And that's pretty much what the supply chain is right now, especially for manufacturers. Our chairman at the Missouri Chamber, Al Kohler. They, this company employs about 160 people in southwest San Louis County and they make it, everything from auto parts to lighting to aquariums and they were trying to tra- trace where their their containers were coming in so they could schedule shifts they could schedule what they were going to be producing these types of things so that the supply chain took a direct hit and it's not easy to manage anyway with the geopolitical games that are played, with trade wars, etc. and then the pandemic hits. So what happens if the factory that's making a component closes in Vietnam or China or wherever it may be because of COVID out- outbreak? So huge disruption. Uh, we've all seen documented the delays in getting things on shore on the West Coast, that sort of thing, but I'll, I will tell you, it's getting a little better. Uh, Things are starting to free up a little bit so that I think we've had the worst of it. Uh, And
3: I'm very bullish on where we're
2: going and I'll explain that later, so.
3: Dan, I'm curious what what you're hearing from your members. Well, we just got out of our convention here a little over a month ago. Uh, Our members were very happy with what they've been able to do uh, during the pandemic. Uh, The problems we have now, labor, labor and privileged labor. The the supply side, uh, it, it's the labor issue. It's truckers. One of our warehouses has given a $10,000 sign-on bonus for a truck with a CDL just to get the trucks moving. Uh, we've had warehouse situation distribution centers. Really, we don't call them warehouses anymore, because No one warehouses anything because we have just-in-time food delivery all the way through the process. We don't have enough people willing to work or able to work in the distribution centers to be able to get all the trucks out. And then if we did have enough people, we wouldn't have enough trucks. Uh, The offshore issue. most of our food, thank you to you guys here, comes from inside this country. We had a problem with green beans a couple weeks ago, not because we couldn't get the green beans, but because everybody has just got to just in time delivery for everything. The manufacturer didn't have the glue to put the label on the aluminum can and that was somewhere off the port of los angeles in a ship the glue we were not able to sell green beans because of glue the other thing our members right now we 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 just got through thanksgiving everybody's able to get a turkey maybe not the perfect turkey or the turkey you wanted that was born on a on a full moon night or something, I don't know. There's all kinds of varieties now. But there's plenty of food out there, but there's this panic buying. How do we do this? We just had food meetings and sales meetings in September to buy products for Easter. We'll buy Halloween candy in March and April. We don't know what the consumer's gonna want. The unpredictability for us is troublesome. So, we don't know if we should buy Easter candy and hope it sells and maybe melt it down for Halloween candy. That's what would have happened in the old days when my grandfather's store. He would have melted that down and made it into Fourth of July candy or something. So, the unpredictability is an issue as well. Okay, so Steve, coming
1: off of this growing season, we saw some of the biggest challenges that we've seen with just some basic chemistries. Obviously fertilizer prices are pretty much smooth. And as we try to look at 2022, there's a lot going through our minds right now. So where are you hearing from your folks who are ultimately working directly with us? Yeah, well my folks, the customer, the people that this are the customers for my folks. And
4: basically it's easy for me to call me today because I can say what he said. Um for so our members and ag retailers that are uh, you know, you folks do business with what I'm hearing from, that's from. my members, and what I'm hearing is is labor, 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 trucking, trucking, trucking. Um, I'm gonna call her out. She won't block it. But the young lady walking in the back of the room is Andrea Rice. She's a field person. Does our director of research? She's out working with the ag retailers a lot. And we, her and I, compared notes. We hear the very same thing. Bert left her for example, you mentioned that, Um, there's more anhydrous than there's trucks moving, Uh, if you can. So, in general, fertilizer, uh, pesticides, I mean, what I'll have to say up here, unfortunately isn't going to be good, but i bet isn't going to be anything that uh, the folks in this room are going to surprise you a lot. If you talk to your ag retailer, you know that the the fertilizer, the, the, the crop protection product, the pesticides, some of it is going to be hard to find and get a hold of, and so, and we're kind of getting to the punchline here is uh, get in, talk to your ag retailer as soon as you can, and uh, come up with a plan because you know, Gary. Most years since I've been, I've been with Moag you now since 2008, and it seemed like every year, your members, the farm bureau folks, the farmers, ranchers in this room, you produce more and more and more, and you do it very efficiently. You're, you're producing more per acre, per pound of fertilizer, but still, it takes more So We got, every year it seems like we got to move more and more product. And every year, it seems like in the spring especially, it gets awfully tight, you know, We we just barely get enough trucks out there and we can supply that. That's what's, quote, cool a normal year. And what we've got coming up is anything but normal. And uh, I don't think I'm scaring anybody in here, because, again, you know, you've talked around, you know that
1: it's gonna be a tight, you know, we're seeing it's going to be a tight year this year. Okay. So <laughs> labor has been a common thread, and we're, we'll, we'll touch more on that here, here in a minute. But let's talk a little bit about inflation. Let's talk about you know, the economic conditions and the role that inflation is in So, So Dan, why don't
2: you talk a little bit about that? I thought it was transitory, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think everyone agrees, right? I mean, come on. Uh, you flood the system of money. What do you expect? This is basic economics. And the prices are, are causing problems. People are changing their behavior. Uh, employers know differently. So, but to echo what these guys said uh, on labor, we hear that everywhere we go. It doesn't matter whether you're service sector, manufacturing, hospitality, whatever, trucking. Uh, it's, it's labor, it's workforce. So we need to get more creative about trying to attract labor and attract people to Missouri, our population is flattening. And if you have a tight labor market and you have these inflationary press- pressures, the wages that you have to pay like Dan alluded to with the $10,000 signing bonus, it's, they're here to stay and they're not gonna go down. So it's just the reality that we face that inflation is here and it, uh, I don't see it. I don't see when it ends. I've heard sometime in twenty-two uh, he's from some, but I don't have a it's it's very unclear in my crystal ball as to when this this price pressure
1: ends. Okay, so, so Dan, why don't you pick up the ball now? From inflation as well as labor. You know, we talked the other day. Right.
3: Uh, you know the, the grocery industry operates on maybe a one and a half percent margin. And when labor goes up there's nowhere else to go when you're trying to subsidize a ten thousand dollar sign on bonus for a trucker that's hard to do it's hard to do it one and a half percent we did pretty well during the keeping keep the prices down uh, but there's all kinds of pressures and we happen to be your your, your fertilizer costs go up so your cost to us goes up the, the processor, the whatever transportation, whatever infrastructure costs are involved, getting it to us. Our prices, I mean, for us to stay in business, then we're also dealing with Amazon, people buying stuff online. It's a, it's a completely different world for us. Now, I made a note that I said, uh, somebody asked me, that, when are we going back to normal? We're not going back to normal. The grocery industry has changed completely. And it will not go back to what we saw two years ago. Remember when only two people would go through the self-checkout line? Some of you might be old enough to remember being able to pick up your groceries and they take them out to the car when you originally bought back in the old days. That's become a thing. Go to Target. They're not members of ours, but go to Target. They got 12, 12 parking spots that you can bring stuff out. That's more labor cost. Where are we headed? Our retailers in Missouri are going to try to stay that they've done very good. And with the resiliency, their resiliency and the flexibility of you, the consumer, we're going to keep feeding it, and people like me are going to keep getting fatter. But uh, that's why they put me in the middle so the stage didn't show it either way. So. so
1: Steve, how are your members navigating labor? I mean, again, we can't drive anywhere around the state without seeing "wanted" want wanted in I know our suppliers are all in the same boat. How how are they navigating? Yeah, it, it, it's very tough. I mean, uh, you go around anywhere in the countryside,
4: and the city, you see how wanton signs, and you can't find uh, labor. And, you know, in the rural areas, it is a lot. It, 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 it just keep coming back to the truck to, to the trucking. We were talking <laughs> the other day, um, Jared, about the uh, you know, in, and we were talking just a second ago about you. You don't have, have so many truckers, you don't have many trucks on the road. You know, we have, to get, maybe we have to get a little bit innovative. And uh, some of the stuff that, you know, I know Farm Bureau, you guys are great on the advocacy, and we've signed on to a couple of letters that's been out there, along with our national affiliates. Uh, you know, if, if we only got so many truckers, is there something to do? Is there a possibility of uh, running those truck trucks along? We've signed on to letters of what's called seasonal CDLs so that kind of you know loosens some of the restrictions to allow more people. It means the age restriction on CDLs. Can we get some of the younger drivers up there running quicker? I mean, we're trying to get really innovative on the laborers, uh, You know, what what can we do? The hours of service regulations on trucking, that's out there. Um, you know, I, I know you've got another panel coming up here on the infrastructure, perhaps in the, in the highways and the bridges, but there's talks about, you know, can we put, possibly put more weight on some of these uh, uh, trucks? Uh, and I think I'm singing your song on that, some of your trucks aren't totally full. Uh, you got the volume, but you limit it on the weight. So we're trying to, you know, you're a little innovative with, to your question, you know, what we do about the, the labor. I'm not seeing a real clear cut answer to that directly to the labor issue, but maybe there's some other things we can do to get more product running per person.
1: Dan wants yeah,
3: the ball. The, the labor, you know, and I don't really talk about inflation, but if we go back to labor, if you live in a grocery store, self checkouts. A couple of years ago, Schnucks Market and St. had this robot that went down the aisle to check out the stocks to build it. This robot, with artificial intelligence, was able to do things to check if things were missing or misplaced on the shelves. That used to be done by a human. We're going to see more and more of the jobs inside the grocery store that you used to see a person in the aisle you're now gonna see a machine or some type of technology. One of our big grocery stores on the eastern side of the state is closing their delis at seven o'clock at night. Well, what happens when you go to the store at eight o'clock and you want a pound of salami or something? You have to go to pre-packaged? I don't like that. I want that stuff that's sliced right into want one. So your self-service is gonna become more of an issue. But where do we get people? Remember when they used to bag groceries for you? Can we do that at $15 an hour? First of all, can we get the people to work? And then can we afford to do it? Will you, are you willing to pay extra, so many dollars a trip to the grocery store for a $15 bag? You might wanna bring your kids and pay them the $15 bag of groceries and maybe we'd be good, I don't know. Those are changes that are taking place and we're never going back.
2: I think Dan's touching on
3: the technologies
2: that are coming, and here's some good news. We've got a very good base in our economy in Missouri in the technology sector. We're a top 10 state, so we should capitalize on that. Those are very good-paying jobs in general. But to talk about the technology, and I know Director McKenna's gonna uh, be on stage next, but autonomous trucks are coming autonomous driven trucks are coming. It's it, a little too late to help right now, but that's gonna displace, replace a lot of jobs. It's just the whole technology 5.0 that we're going through right now, uh, just like you're siding with the self-checkout lines. Um, and by the way, can you guys start enforcing 12 items or less?
1: <laughs> all
3: right, because all right. We got a problem with beer for bananas right now. at South China. on people putting banana, beer if they putting the coat for bananas in, walking out with bananas beer for the price of bananas,
1: so. Beer 12 items may have to wait. Okay, so this is Steve. Steve, you touched on exactly why we're here at the Farm Bureau I mean, You know, this afternoon we've had our open hearing, our yeah, state yeah. resolutions yeah. committee is preparing their final work to present to the delegate body starting tomorrow afternoon. as we set policies for the coming year um, prime the pump a little bit. You all have teased a few issues that are out there that should be on our folks' minds. What else is there as we set the stage for the path forward as we think about opportunities in Missouri to make us more resilient when it comes to hard infrastructure? So, this is going to be hopefully a good segue to our
4: next Yeah, prime yeah, the pump. And, I, you know, I don't have any silver bullets or anything, but just, you know, you, you think of the, uh, the times we're in right now. and I think they've done something in D.C., passed another trillion-dollar bill or something, I believe, of infrastructure. I mean, is there an opportunity here? Uh, I think there would be, uh, you know, it's one thing to pass a trillion-dollar bill, then you got to actually spend the money. And, uh, you know, the various states and counties and what have you, and where that money eventually uh, filters down to, hopefully. But, you know, is there opportunities there? Again, you know, we've got, uh, Yeah, whether it's a person-driven truck or an autonomous truck, Dan, I mean, we're gonna have trucks rolling, we gotta have good roads and bridges that we wanna think about. Raising the weight, that's something that uh, our organization, our national affiliates, have uh, proposed for our policy makers to take a look at. You know, during your resolution, I don't know, Garrett, if you're gonna be thinking about any of that stuff, but anywhere you get an opportunity, um, you know, what what was that thing, let a good crisis go away. Somebody said that. Uh, but you know, I, you know, this has been a really horrible uh, couple of years for some folks with the COVID and everything. But you know, we've passed, um, they've passed, you know, they've appropriated some money. And uh, hopefully we get some. I know some of our congressional delegation is uh, supportive of you know, putting that to work the, the locks and dams and rivers. We get more barges running quicker through the locks and dams we get the railroads, we need the policy to make the railroads more efficient. That's something I always hear from our members. They, the, the railroads are a love and hate relationship with our members. Uh, quite frankly, agriculture isn't the, uh, the top uh, customer or you know, the customer that the railroads look to first sometimes. Uh, so the service transportation board, uh, some policy related to more efficient railroads, better you know, infrastructure, locks and dams, the bridges, the roads, any policy that you guys are looking at tomorrow that helps any of that, helps my members, and whatever helps our members, it generally gets passed around, that help everybody, the folks that are in this room here. So those are the type of things maybe, uh, you know, as you talk tomorrow,
3: maybe we'll keep in mind. From the grocer's point of view, we we, we support everything that you just said, Steve, with anything we can do to help the infrastructure to, to make more reliable the supply chain, any product from it whether it's from the farm to the, to, to the manufacturer, or from the distribution center to the grocery store, whatever we can do to make that good. And I think Director McKenna's done a great job with it, prioritizing how we're gonna use it. And I, I think we'll support whatever is good because it works for us. But the other thing, and this is a personal issue I, I worked with last year, we talked about labor. We almost had a bill real close to the last day whenever well, beast <laughs> East Wing went home, the West Wing we kept working in the Capitol. The East Wing went home, and we had an unemployment bill that was going to help with unemployment. When unemployment is almost negative like it is now, there should be a different, different from what it's way through the roof. And what we were going to do is we were going to uh, tie it to the unemployment rate. The amount of, If there's more people unemployed, you'd be able to have the full 20 weeks. But if you're in a negative unemployment, you shouldn't have 20 weeks instead of going oh, to do your own thing. I think that would help immensely to encourage people to get back out to work. It may not be real uh, uh, favorable during election year, but I'm going to carry that bill again this year because we need to encourage people to support themselves, and we need to use the state's money for stuff to help everyone instead of bringing people up the stadium. You know,
2: I completely agree with that. That was a priority of ours as well. And then, uh, yeah, the senior circuit took the day off uh, the last day of session. I call it the Yeah, um, talk about the Missouri Senate. Um, at any rate, I, I think there's a couple things that come to mind to consider. We've talked a lot in these, on this panel about labor. We need to redo the fast-track legislation. That was a priority of the governor's, a priority of the business community. And it's gotta be amended a little bit, and it's gonna be a tight session anyway with all the politics going on. Tight is a euphemistic term. But between Fast Track and a couple other things that we're gonna be pushing, but the thing to watch this year, besides the politics that's gonna be rampant, is the money. And it's the CARES Act money, it's the ARPA money. It's a one-time, once-in-a-lifetime deal that every state has to try to figure out how to spend that money and prioritize it. And since we're talking infrastructure, I've got an idea. We passed our first road funding increase since 1993 last year. Think about that, 1993. Uh, That's the last time we invested more money into roads and bridges. But think about infrastructure in general. This is an infrastructure report we put together and I've got a few copies on the back table. It talks about a lot of different things. Yes, roads and bridges. It does talk about locks and dams, about rail, trucking. It talks also about broadband. Build-out. And we we were talking broadband five years ago, uh, and all of a sudden, WAMO, you get hit by the pandemic, and people are having to go to McDonald's so Junior can pick up his own homework assignment on a Wi-Fi hotspot. So. Uh, we've got to have a serious conversation about making these one-time investments. Now, w- one more thing, and I'll shut up, but, uh, you know, you've got the new Panama Canal open with the largest freighters in the world coming through. They moor off the, the coast of the Gulf Coast, and then they offload these containers onto smaller vessels or barges and bring them into the river system and it comes up the Mississippi. What happens if you have an LNG-fired ship that has less of a draft than a barge able to come up the Mississippi, even go out the Missouri River to Kansas City uh, and offload containers? There's an idea to locate a port in Jefferson County, right on the Mississippi River, accessed through all the rail and an interstate system, and from that location, that container is a 12-hour ride to 44% of its market. And think about how we can own that. Nobody's gonna take our location away. If anything, we should be the distribution and logistics center for not just the Midwest, but for the country and the continent. And what do you do with those containers when you offload the product? The ideal thing is to fill it with something, like soybeans. How many unit trains a year go to waste waiting to get on a ship out in the state of Washington. So if we could load ag product, which we're very good at, uh, back onto those and take them back down to the Gulf, ship them to Asia, Africa, all around, that's a win-win. It's something that I think, Garrett, that the key is to, to, to be bold about these solutions. You know, in a one-time shot that we have, to really execute some big things that could put Missouri on the map. When we started this whole 2030 exercise or vision, we were 42nd in job creation out of the 50 states, 43rd in state GDP growth, and 39th in per capita income growth. That was a 10 year trend from 04 to 14. From 15 to 20, we've gone from 42nd in job creation to 20-second job creation. So we've got a good story to tell. We've got the people in leadership that get the message, and it's time to seize the day and keep
1: that trend going the right direction. Okay, in terms of seizing the day, let's pause there. Let's give these gentlemen a round of applause. Because truly, as we thought about teeing up this discussion, uh, we didn't want to just lament on what the past couple of years have looked like, right? We wanted to tee up for what is a really important discussion about the opportunities that we have ahead of us here in the state of Missouri. So thanks again, gentlemen. appreciate you being here today. We're going to now pivot uh, to our public sector panel. All right. One at a time. Mark, you're first up. Mark Strombaugh serves as a as the regional engagement division director for the Missouri Department of Economic Development. Uh, Mark has been there since 2018. You know, something that I really appreciate about Mark is that he's truly been in communities and in the trenches doing economic development for his career, and he was a great pickup when the former director of DED brought Mark uh, to the department to really figure out how we can be bigger and bolder throughout the state at the regional level and how to foster those conversations. So very excited to have Mark here. Also, I have longtime long-time friend, Drew Running. Uh, many of you know, Drew, through the years, uh, served as Deputy Director of, of DNR, then uh, led the Upper Mississippi River Basin Association, came back to DNR as Deputy, uh, and this past summer took over as Director of the Department of Natural Resources. And finally, we have Director Patrick McKenna uh, with the Missouri Department of Transportation Patrick brings a whole wealth of knowledge. You all have had the chance to to hear from him several times uh, during his time in leadership here in Missouri. Uh, He has spent time on the East Coast, has spent time in Congress uh, in terms of uh, helping staff, and and really excited about this discussion, gentlemen. So, take a seat. So, so truly, this this portion of the panel discussion is really to focus on the opportunities ahead. As we thought about the meeting, all throughout this past, the last few months, as we think about the federal dollars that are coming into the state. I mean, we could debate all day long whether we like it or not, but the reality is we have a once in a generation opportunity to make a difference when it comes to hard infrastructure, and, and that's a pretty broad definition. And so these three uh, are again, leadership roles within three key departments within our state. Who are, who are helping navigate what is a very interesting and, and a time of opportunity. And so I'm gonna let each of you make just some introductory comments and then we're gonna dive right in. So, so Mark, you wanna start? Sure, uh,
5: thanks Garrett. A pleasure being here with everybody. Uh, beautiful afternoon at the Lake of the Ozarks. Um, as, as Garrett said, I've had an opportunity to work closely with community partners throughout the state. I've been in economic development for maybe 16 years or so. so. We kind of sit today in one of those instances that that how we got here is one thing in terms of the resources that are available to us, but it's pretty critical that we get them right, that we get the investment side of it right. So I think we're going to talk about that a little bit in terms of some priority areas. I know all three of our agencies uh, look forward to working together with the members of the General Assembly as we try to continue to prioritize to make sure that we're making smart investments for the long term to improve that resiliency piece. Again, at the department, I do a lot of business development work, and so we'll, we'll talk a little bit about some of our customers and what we're hearing, but I think I should probably talk about labor, uh, or I think I will add to the labor discussion. But we see a lot of those industries now making supply chain-oriented decisions that, frankly, they realize today probably should have been made 18 months ago, 24 months ago, and so you had all that exacerbated by the pandemic, so uh, certainly a lot of opportunity on the horizon.
0: So I, I think, and I was interested to hear some of the previous uh, discussion. Dan, I was over in Jefferson County on Friday uh, with the county executive and and looking at the opportunities there. So it, it, you know, Garrett talked about my time serving at the Upper Mississippi River Basin Association. So Steve's comments about the opportunities for finally investing in, for for finally. Sorry about that. I think the opportunities for finally seeing investment in modernizing the locks uh, on the upper miss are finally here. I think the potential for container shipping is a bit of a game changer in terms of uh, potentially um, driving things off of the highway system, but also providing the benefit of that tonnage moving on the river and the security that provides us when we're having fights with other states about the release of water on the Missouri River system. But as it relates to ARPA, uh, you know, the thing that's a bit unprecedented, at least in my experience, which is about 25 years in state government, the amount of collaboration that's occurring across the agencies uh, to try and figure out how to get these investments right as As Mark referred to, we had, we've had a series of uh, discussions among the governor's cabinet. Uh, The first series of those was on broadband, and and you you all will be aware of the governor's announcement on that. Uh, We're kind of in the middle of a process. The next round uh, projects uh, potentially for investment was water projects, uh, drinking water, wastewater, storm water, <laughs> largely uh, in smaller communities that really have difficulty uh, investing in that infrastructure without having a significant impact on rates and economic development. So right now we have a call for projects uh, that just closed. Uh, we received over a thousand projects from communities across the state and this is uh, for grant funding to help really knock out those projects. Uh, There were a series of of other rounds of discussion, some of that is a bit fluid until the governor announces what's included in his budget, Uh, but those conversations continue and I do think uh, that regardless of what you think about how we got to this amount of funding available, it really is a one cent a generation opportunity To put our community communities across the state in the best position to compete in the future And it's not an opportunity that I know the governor or any of the agencies are taking lightly Um, That's kind of where we are at least on the DNR pieces I think there will be more that will be apparent that we'll talk about once the governor um, and the governor decides on what he's going to request and obviously then that will start the process of the legislature's role in this process and and what they think uh about it in terms of what they want to re- appropriate uh in those dollars great when it comes to uh transportation
6: uh, uh at, at Modot, uh, what what we're seeing and in the, in the first thing i'd like to acknowledge is the, the true leadership that occurred in the last session uh, there were interest groups and support from all over the state, but uh, when it comes to the support of the governor and the lieutenant governor and the general assembly to make its first uh, increase in uh, resource availability for transportation in in over 25 years, uh, that was not only um, difficult to do but extraordinary leadership, but it was also timely because it preceded action that occurred at the federal level. And that wasn't by by mistake. Uh, This is your your leaders in in government trying to prepare Missouri to make sure that we could draw all of the federal funds uh, that are now now passed in the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act at the federal level. Absent the effort to increase the motor fuels tax, and as you know, it started in in October, two and a half cents a year for uh, five years, it will increase uh, while a lot of people don't like that, uh, there is a rebate option on there so that uh, if, if you are having difficult times, you can get a rebate on the increased fuel um, cost uh, associated with the tax. But that investment is necessary so that we can match the federal funds. This Infrastructure Investment and in Jobs Act isn't the federal government backing up a Prince truck and, and just dropping money off for us to distribute. Uh, What it is is the reauthorization of the Federal Surface Transportation Act, and that's how Missourians pull their federal share of their gas tax, goes to Washington, and then how it's drawn back into the state through formula allocation and other programs that we have to follow the federal regulations in order uh, to receive reimbursement. So the state has to put the money out first. Uh, and then we can seek reimbursement. So if we have uh, a construction project for a bridge replacement and we're following all the federal eligibility, uh, we apply for that ahead of time. We then pay a contractor for the services that we are performing. Let's say we uh, spend a dollar and they, um, they send me an invoice for that. I receive uh, that bill and I send it to the federal government. I'm reimbursed. The state's reimbursed 80 cents of the dollar most of the time. So it's a, it's a four to one match, which is a great deal. And, and one of the things that people don't recognize, but your congressional representation in Missouri has been very good uh, with regards to transportation funding over the past several decades. You know, if you go back 30 years ago, for every dollar you sent to Washington, you probably received about 95 cents back. Uh, that wasn't necessarily a great deal, but in the, in the last 15 years or so, with great leadership from uh, Senator Blunt, from Senator Bond, uh, from our congressional delegation. Uh, we, we draw about $1.20 for every dollar we put into that system now. So it's a very good deal for Missourians. What just happened with the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act is essentially that, that core reauthorization of surface transportation. It's a five-year bill. Uh, it replaces a five-year bill called the FAST Act. And the base funding you've heard uh, there's about $6.5 billion authorized in the next five years for road and bridge investments, specifically. Uh, and then another program worth about a half a billion dollars for Missouri for bridges, even more specifically. That'll flow through formula through the DOT. Now, we plan, we, I'm governed by a, a Missouri Highway and Transportation Commission, bipartisan, six member volunteer group appointed by the governor and by the the Senate. Uh, Those members work hard to put out capital programs to allocate funds to all regions of the state They use objective criteria to to do so. And uh, what we do is we update a capital plan uh, every year, and it's a five-year plan rolling forward. So we've been planning for this for a number of years, but we we plan for the base level of funding that already exists, so we already have documented Uh, Construction projects of about five billion out of that seven billion that's coming at the federal level, and then of course, there's additional resources from the gas tax at the state level. So, now what we're doing is we're going through uh, community efforts all across the state to develop an unfunded needs list for all road and bridge projects and multimodal investments, like you heard for uh, the river, rail, uh, airports, and transit. All of those additional investments in infrastructure. And uh, we're bringing that through, we've identified already uh, $10 billion of unfunded needs in the system. And what what will come on top of what we've already planned is about $2.5 billion over the next five years. That's the best uh, opportunity we've had in 30 years to, to make a dent in the things that we haven't gotten to that, that citizens and businesses all across the state want us to do. So we're going to be able to take about a 25% bite out of the unfunded needs in the state. We're going to be working uh, with communities across the state
1: and with the commission to determine those priorities over the next several months. Okay, you've given us a pretty good lay of the land in terms of what's out there. Let's come back to broadly. So as we talk about resiliency and the path forward, we've been very excited about it, that the governor is buying $400 million investment broadband. So, so Mark, uh, Office of Broadband and DVD. Um, obviously, plans will be coming out for the legislative session. What are, what are your overarching thoughts? Yeah, I think, you know, to use
5: something Patrick hit on, uh, you know, Governor Carson's <laughs> leadership has really seeded um, our efforts to be successful in broadband. In my mind, this was a priority for us and for many of you years before, you deliver know, hundreds of millions of dollars in funding opportunities for it. So creating that office really allowed us to, to take a, a broad picture of the landscape and see some of what's working um, in other states and what's not. Um, we're in the process of kind of, um, of, of taking that from an office of one to a lean mean group of folks that can help distribute and get the money out on the, um, into the street. Um, I think the 400 million dollars in, in projects, you know, the lion's share of that is that investment in hard infrastructure that's really going to drive um, access. You know, over 270 million dollars of projects was identified um, in that that bucket. But, you know, we're not rec- we're still recognizing too that the the mapping and the information and data we have available to us needs to be refreshed before we can deploy that kind of capital and ensure that we're going to get the amount of households, the amount of businesses um, connected to that that infrastructure. So, you know, the 400 million, you know, was bucketed really into three different pieces. And the first one being that that hard cost that I just mentioned. But then we've got a a considerable amount of adoption related assisting folks getting connected to it. Some of that is literacy oriented work. but, but not so much the, the cable in the ground um, kind of thing. And then the third bucket being just general technical assistance, which again, um, leads to a little bit of that engineering or the, the GIS mapping and ensuring um, that we know what the capabilities are, the true capabilities are, uh, the true speeds of access that are available in all of our communities across the state. So we'll be rolling out different grant-oriented opportunities for that, but and then you know, in the federal authorization, I think the number was 65 billion uh, nationwide allocated to broadband related needs with a minimum of a hundred million dollars going to each state. So there's still going to be uh, plenty of room for competition and for us to sharpen the pencil and ensure that we're getting the most mileage out of both the ARPA allocation the state has already as well as the
4: new infrastructure spending.
1: Drew, we can. Probably spend a good portion of the afternoon just talking river policy, but let's talk about another aspect of water drinking water, wastewater. Obviously, you have a role in that at DNR, and there are opportunities, uh, I think, in terms of infrastructure investment. So, what's that look like for our communities? Yes, so um, I
0: think a a significant opportunity. The governor, uh, in addition to the broadband plan, had rolled out least the water, drinking water, wastewater, storm water portion of what is going to be in his budget request. So that's about 150 million for uh, community grants for just hard infrastructure needs that they have to be compliant or just deal with maintenance that's been deferred for too long on their systems. That would be 100% grant. So it would really give us an opportunity to help some of the communities that just are not in a position to take out a loan uh, through us. And uh, so that is uh, largely gonna be directed at smaller communities that have issues with rates and just the ability to to get done what they need to done, need to get done on their systems. Um, Then $150 million for stormwater grants um, for communities, essentially the larger communities that are required by the federal government to regulate stormwater and all the things that we see on the big rivers with the change in landscapes and, and the increasing rainfall and the difficulty in managing in times of floods, um, you know, essentially that's the urban piece of managing that type of, of situation. Uh, The governor is also uh, proposing uh, $50 million, which would be a partnership between DD and DNR, uh, really looking at those site-ready business expansion development sites um, and and dealing with water infrastructure that is needed to get those sites ready for development. Um, And then the other thing that you know, Patrick touched on, but it's the same with the water projects is the infrastructure bill also includes a a, a significant additional increase in funding. Uh, But with the infrastructure bill, that is more our traditional state revolving loan fund. Uh, So there's a limit to how much we can push out in grants. Uh, The thing that's unique about the water projects as it relates to ARPA, is that it doesn't have some of the typical stringent requirements that we have that make the funding difficult to deal with. It's, we have a lot more flexibility to award these in 100% grants, which is really um, what is needed to be able to, uh, you know, Patrick talked about the need on the, on the transportation side, of, uh, on water, wastewater, storm, not even counting stormwater, we have about a $20 billion need, uh, but this is really going to allow us to provide some much needed grant funds to help communities knock out uh, some of those infrastructure issues and really position
1: themselves well to compete in the future. Okay, so Drew, you may be about something and you three are the right leaders to talk about this. And, and what I see, has truly been unprecedented in the role of this administration when it comes to economic development. And we had a huge win recently with American Foods Group choosing Missouri and Warren County to locate. And what we heard time and time again from the Rosa family was how impressed they were, that it was a full court press in terms of the availability of government agencies coming to the table to talk about what economic development means to the state. Patrick, maybe talk a little bit about what this administration's approach has been, because it truly, in so many ways, has been unprecedented the way these agencies have worked together to make Missouri even more attractive. Well, I I think that's a great point. What you have in Governor
6: Parson, what you have in Lieutenant Governor Kehoe, and then uh, the coordinated effort with the General Assembly. So you have uh, Missourians that that care about Missouri, right? They they want, I think the the governor describes it as He's got a selfish interest in almost everything he does every day when he gets up. He wants to make the state the place where his grandkids and their kids have opportunities so that they don't have to go to other parts of the country. Uh, And and frankly, every um, bit of the effort going on has been to coordinate, uh, has been to understand the component pieces of what each of the agencies do and can do together to help make that dream come true. And uh, that starts with just coordination activities, but it, it's cooperation. It's it's uh, lending a hand to each other when there are difficult issues that come up. Uh, and and frankly, it's a way. It's just a way of doing business at a at a public agency perspective uh, that would would not be unheard of in other other uh, parts of the economy. But you know the, the infrastructure that I deal with. Uh, builds on the economy, and improves economic development and it, 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 it enhances safety uh, for citizens. Uh, it's the same thing that Drew deals with uh, and, and certainly when you tie that in with economic development interests and you're trying to coordinate the, the railroad, the water, the electric infrastructure that um, logistics firms and product distribution, agricultural distribution, um, this is, uh, we have such an advantage in location here in Missouri, taking advantage of it right now uh, on the now plan. I think that's, I hear that from the lieutenant governor all the time. He's on the now plan, and, uh, and that's what they've, they've really got the agencies responding to, is to, is to uh, not get so wrapped up in the bureaucracy. Uh, and frankly, we do have to follow federal regulations and guidelines, but there are always ways to uh, pick up the phone and see if there's a way to, to free something up, to make it move a little faster, and to work together to do that. It's been an extraordinary time, and I, and I think that's only gonna get better as the resources, now that we've got that fundamental underpinning in
0: place, now that the resources are freeing well, up uh, a little, that's really gonna make a difference. Yeah, it, I agree with everything Patrick said, just particularly on American foods, I mean, that, was kind of an example of the manifestation of that. So I uh, currently serve as chair of the Upper Mississippi River Basin Association as Missouri's representative. And so we're working with the other states on the upper river to try and get uh, Lock and Dam 25 modernized, get a new chamber, second dual chamber, or second chamber in Lock and Dam 25. And so I'm chairing a meeting uh, on the same day as the Development Finance Board is meeting, and so we're hearing a presentation from the Corps of Engineers on what the federal government is going to do, what are, you know, what's the path forward uh, that they're going to put the funding that Congress has provided related to the locks and dams. At the same time, the Development Finance Board is having a meeting to vote on the, the Uh, financing components that they were involved with related to American foods. And I had Chris Chen, you know, texting me, you're going to be on there, right? You're going to vote, you're going to vote. And so I had, I was chairing this virtual meeting at the same time I had my headphones in trying to go on mute and make comments to the the other board members indicating the department's support and how we work with family and we have been up there and, and really worked through any permitting issues that they would have to have um, at the same time you know so it just shows you that you know the governor is driving us all to really we are all here to make Missouri better, make the quality of life for Missourians better. And we do that best when we're working together uh, because then when we have obstacles, you have other agencies that can help you overcome those obstacles. And it really, I, I agree with Patrick, it's extraordinary um, in my mind that this kind of collaboration is coming at a time when we also have some resources to really knock out some some challenges that we've had as a state uh, for many, many years. Um, But I think the advantages uh, are are limitless right now and it's an exciting opportunity. Yeah, I think, and maybe a little bit of the segue too, is it's, it's the collaboration of the
5: agencies, which I would agree you would think would always be there, but I can count on the on one hand, the amount of times that we've had all the directors, you know, engaged to that degree as we did on that particular project. But it's almost back to the advocacy portion of what you all do. We in Jefferson City didn't know that that kind of project was the right fit for that community. The community told us it was the right fit for the community. Having the opportunity to travel with, advocacy to out in the audience, too, with... With members of the agriculture community, with the agency directors, with everyone to go tour one of these similar facilities. I learned a lot. But we were right there with community leaders, with county commissioners, with cattlemen, with everyone. So it, it takes what is what you would expect of us as as your executive agency leaders, of us working together, yes, and, and there are some funny stories like I like mentioned of of wearing two hats or wearing three hats, and making sure we can uh, push the right opportunities forward. But we took a lot from the community and the advocacy they showed uh, for that
4: particular project. Great,
5: great opportunity and a great win for the state for sure.
6: You know, it goes uh, it goes beyond the collaboration just within the state too. I think as a region, the Midwest has a as a fantastic story to tell. And we want to make sure that uh, there there are a lot of funding opportunities that aren't in the uh, in these bills that are through formula, but they come through discretionary grants. Being able to compete on a discretionary grant, uh, grant basis is important. We're working with uh, neighboring states in the region uh, to make sure that we can draw what, we think there's another 60 to 100 billion dollars available uh, from the federal perspective, and we wanna make sure that the Midwest gets its share of that as well. We think some collaboration is gonna, gonna really help. To give you an example, Um, We just uh, pulled down, fortunately uh, last year, a discretionary grant, uh, and it was a grant that we titled, and I I can't take credit for it, it was our bridge engineer, uh, titled it Fixing Access to Rural Missouri, and it was actually fixing uh, 41 structures in northern uh, Missouri that were single-lane structures that literally had outlived their useful life uh, several decades ago. Uh, we think there's a there's an adjunct to that. We're working with Kansas and with uh, Minnesota and with some of the other states, Illinois, uh, to put together something that's called uh, fixing access uh, to the rural Midwest. And we uh, collaborated with Kansas and other states recently in a kind of a heartland, um, you know, home court advantage uh, program. We had a lot of people from the agricultural community, and through polling in that whole thing, one of the biggest issues we found was that. Uh, rural bridges are really uh, a problem across the entire Midwest, and we want to be able to collaborate to pull some federal resources beyond what we have now, and try to try to draw those lines into a into a real agricultural um, uh, you know resource so that you can move your goods to market more efficiently. Uh, that's the type of uh, that's the type of work we're going to have to do not only at the state level but at the regional level to succeed.
1: Okay, so we're about out of time. Let's focus on community resiliency. And I want you to look at it. These are the movers and shakers in communities across the state. We have other members that aren't in here that are the movers and shakers and influencers in their communities. They're farmers, they're ranchers, they're school board members, they're deacons in their church. Farm Bureau members are involved and immersed in their communities more so than a lot of folks they are in a position we are in a position to help drive conversation what opportunities are out there? what home should these folks leave margaritaville with thinking about how they can make a positive impact in their communities about the opportunities that are coming down the pike what are the key takeaways that you want them to leave with Well. There's one when it relates
6: to the to the federal bill, some of the recovery plan monies. Uh, there was recently a bill in the US Senate to help clarify. If you go back to the CARES Act and, and then there was a middle middle one called CRISA, uh, there was a lot of difficulty in terms of communities actually spending that money for its intended purpose because there wasn't clarity, I think, from the federal level all the way down. Uh, and I think a lot of at the county level people were scared to spend the money because they weren't sure if the the expenses were eligible. There was a bill in the U.S. Senate to clarify how the ARC funds, American Recovery Plan funds, could be spent and to clarify that they could be spent on critical infrastructure if there's uh, balances available. We need that to pass the U.S. House. Uh, So I'll I'll send some information to Garrett about that, but your support, Uh, with a congressional delegation on that would be vitally important because there are billions of dollars that could be deployed on critical infrastructure that could otherwise
0: not be utilized uh, if we don't focus on that. I would say me thinking about one of the rounds uh, that we went through in looking at at potential projects among the cabinet was called, uh, what are your moonshot? You know what are the ideas that would truly transform the state and not just one community but potentially have a compounding effect and so I, I would ask you to think about what that would be for your community because I think what's going to come at least a portion of the governor's uh, request to the General Assembly is going to be more uh, broad programs that communities and uh, could can apply for and receive funding uh, because there is a fair amount of flexibility of, of what at least the ARPA funds can be used for, uh, and then I would say pay attention to what the governor requests for this. You know what is he asking the General Assembly to invest in, and then determine what you think is the most important and engage with your uh, member of the General Assembly, members of the General Assembly to make sure that we have appropriations for the things that you think are most important to your communities yeah i guess piggybacking on that
5: is is exactly right i'd say to to try to prioritize you know to try to have those discussions locally because you know we talked about some ambiguity in the language and some other things like if broadband is is a priority um, in an underserved area maybe maybe where you're you're residing or working It it needs to be prioritized locally and you can be ready because some of the language under economic development uses for ARPA dollars um, There's some interpretation. There's some it has to be used on on Industries that were impacted, etc. There's a lot of open dialogue Broadband is one of those areas where there's very very specific allowances And so I think having the conversation locally to prioritize because then you have time to work with us as agencies to work with your county-level leaders to understand what nuances of that large bucket of funding are, because depending on um, you know what the priorities of the communities, maybe that's a short discussion, or maybe it's a long discussion, and you don't want to find yourself six months down the road just starting one of those discussions that everybody needs to wrap their heads around. And I think we, we struggle with it. And you can't you know we're among friends. You can't have any one person read it, interpret it, provide clear guidance that isn't caveat that. know there's a lot of stuff that can still come down from Treasury but we've tried to open up uh, uh, toolkits for communities to look at when we talk about the CARES Act dollars we were really trying our best to point at communities that were ahead of the game to point at those communities that had their priorities in line interpreted and ran and did it in a meaningful way so that other communities could model those best practices and so we've put out a couple um, informational toolkits just to try to provide I won't say guidance but to try to boil down some of the federal uh, guidance that we've come through to say these are activities that they're proposing we use the funds for. So use that in your communities to help prioritize too, because I think the other way we're gonna be able to spend statewide allocation dollars is in a match kind of situation. Another way for us to know what's a priority is how much of of local allocations or how much other resources um, are, are we getting leverage, and are you guys bringing it to the table? Because that helps us immensely uh, carry the message that it's important in, in your community.
1: This has been a really good discussion. You know, a couple takeaways. One, this is just yet another example, folks, of the great administration that we have, the teamwork that we see, uh, the emphasis is placed on moving all of Missouri forward, and that includes rural Missouri and these three. Uh, certainly shown that. Uh, the second piece is that we have a lot of opportunity for our communities. And truly, the relationship between our farm and ranch families and our communities is absolutely inseparable. And you all are in prime positions to influence conversations with your commissioners, with your local mayors, about these opportunities, uh, whether it's broadband, whether it's roads, bridges, uh, drinking water, wastewater. These are conversations that we want to put on your radar, opportunities that you should be aware of as you figure out amongst your County Farm Bureau boards and, and others of how you can plug into these conversations and make a positive impact for what really is a once-in-a-generation opportunity with the things that are coming out. So, so let's give these three a hand. Thank you to our private sector panel as well. Uh, We've had a a very broad conversation about resiliency, from the challenges that we've experienced to the opportunities that are ahead. So so thank you all for participating today. We will stand adjourned and be ready for this evening's festivities.